Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and my guest today doesn't need an introduction because he's the other co-host. <laughs> uh, Norman's back with me to talk about two issues that are pretty important to both of us, and we want to discuss why they are important as Christians and as libertarians, and we're going to give you our position on them. So the two topics, drumroll, is drug war and immigration. Why are these two issues important? Well, you'll find out as we discuss this episode. <laughs> Norman, thanks for joining me to have a fun conversation. Hey, man, it's always good to be here. Let's do this. So there's a number of like hills we have chosen to die on. Uh, when I say you, you know, yeah. we, I mean like just generally any person is going to choose a hill to die on. Like they would fight really hard for a certain position. And then there's other positions that are like, oh yeah, okay, I can see it the other way. And then of course there's, you know, any any level in between. And there are a few things, and we've, we've recorded, you know, podcasts like this, the two of us talking about, you know, the most important issues to us in a number of ways. But there are two hills that we really would die on because they're of utmost importance and they happen to be drug war and immigration. So for you, the drug war is just evil. Okay, and I would agree with you, but you're the guy who's done the most like recent research and have kind of caught up to speed on, you know, what's out there in terms of, you know, the data, as well as you've articulated in an article a really robust, pointed reasons to end the drug war and why Christians should just not at all be inclined to favor a war on drugs. Yeah, and to kind of back it up a little bit, you know, this idea of hills to die on, and and to a certain extent, I think this is sort of on policy questions in particular, because there are certain things we give no, we will give no quarter on. Period, with respect to our principles, the way that certain things play out in policies, though, people feel differently about them sometimes, mm -hmm. and in particular, there are some issues amongst libertarians that can drive us to certain forms of argumentative conflict with folks on either side of the aisle, if you will, uh, the left or the right. Mm -hmm. And one that historically over the last 40, 50 years or so has really, you know, kind of taken root in the popular Christian mindset is that of the war on drugs. And to a large extent, I mean, from whether you, you know, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, such as I did, you remember things like the D.A.R.E. programs and whatnot. I mean, it wasn't really, a, I didn't, never went to a public school, so it wasn't as prominent in my own mind, but it was yeah. certainly something that, you know, was talked about in our yeah. Christian school. I went through that. the D.A.R.E. program. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, it turns out that that was a pretty much a completely worthless piece of trash of a policy too, for other reasons. <laughs> it didn't actually help anything. But that's a whole nother story. And I mean, you could say that that is one one reason that the war on drugs is just stupid is that it actually doesn't work. You're period. forgetting the one positive unintended consequence. <laughs> what's, what's For that? children <laughs> going through the program, they didn't have to sit through a segment of history or some other class that they really didn't want to be in anyway. 
No. <laughs> well, wait. It's like, that's like, that's that's barely like a you know that's not even a silver lining. That's like you know maybe an aluminum lining or something. I don't yeah, know. Fair point. That sounds pretty terrible. I mean, the compulsory schooling to begin with, right? <laughs> right. Right. Oh well. I was just trying to see the light, you know. As a kid, yeah, I was like, you know, "Oh yeah, we had this special yeah. program for for like an hour, and we don't have to do this other stuff our teacher wants us to do that we don't want to do." Sorry, like, that, oh, that's good. very we low have- justification. I'll let you keep going. <laughs> it's fine. It's like, oh, good, we don't have to study American history now. We'll study drugs instead. I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, at least, oh, oh, but here's the thing: at least I didn't have to hear how great Lincoln was that hour. Uh, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. All right. Well, you know, there's all sorts of other things we could say there. But I guess the the thing is to me is that, you know, I've, look, I mean, I've never smoked pot in my life. Never had an edible or anything like that. I mean, I don't care to. It's not of interest to me. That doesn't matter. But what the drug war is at its core is something that violates human liberty at such a basic level that it is absolutely a linchpin issue for libertarians. There is no good argument for it. In order to make an argument for it, you must dissect and dismember the core of libertarian values, period. Mm -hmm. And thus it is incredibly important for the libertarian to understand what the war on drugs is and why it is bad from every point of view that is possible. And there's no better person really, I mean, honest to goodness, to do this than listening to folks like Lawrence Vance, who's written a little book. Well, it's actually a collection of his essays on the war on drugs called The War The War on Drugs is a War on Freedom. And that's a great little book. And I commend him so much for, for putting that all together. But what I wanted to do in, in this particular little essay that I published uh, last week, at least uh, relative to when we're recording this, was to kind of give a summation of the arguments so that a Christian, a thinking Christian could look to it and go, these are six concrete reasons that the war on drugs is the stupidest thing in public policy of the last 100 years. And there really is no, again, there's no good justification for it. And I would defy anyone to try and make a good argument for the war on drugs. It just doesn't exist. I mean, you can try, but it will fail because there is no way to do it (laughs) that doesn't involve dismembering the base foundation of Mm -hmm. liberty that we enjoy as a society. In every single way, the war on drugs makes us less free and stupider as a result. So, (laughs) So that's, and maybe that's a strong statement to make, based on, you know, how much insanity that we've had to witness in mm-hmm. the last hundred years, let alone the last 10. Yeah. You know, but I still think it's worth saying. Yeah. Well, and I think the momentum is shifting as well in at least the minds of people that, I mean, even I know family members who are big on the whole, like, you know, support the police, tough on crime, that sort of mindset about people who are criminals or do criminal things or whatever actually acknowledge that maybe we should legalize some drugs. Like maybe that's actually not a good policy. And so I feel like in the last, especially the last decade, it's been more noticed. I would say probably the last two to three decades, you've seen a lot more openness, maybe not support for ending it, but openness to hearing, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. I'm willing to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, it's remarkable to consider how far we have come in this, considering that, for instance, and when I, you know, switched sides and became a libertarian in 2005, the notion that the war on drugs was something to discard as utter foolishness 
was not really something looked upon particularly favorably by Christians. In fact, it was something that even my my own parents, who are now libertarians as well, could attest to. They questioned me on it. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you support such a thing? Well, here's why. And even back then, I had, a, I mean, I would say I had good arguments for why the war on drugs is terrible. And eventually, those even those things were convincing to my parents, for instance. But... I've grown a lot since then. I've learned a lot. And, and I, think that, you know, <laughs> I think that we have even more good reasons and good arguments mm-hmm. for why to get rid of it. Well, we also have more data and we also have some scenarios in which drugs were legalized and the war on drugs ended. And we have some time since that implementation yeah. of that. And we can see, oh, oh, Portugal isn't a hellhole. Because yeah, they legalized I mean, the, drugs. the data was there. Let's let's admit that the data was there, and, and plus we had the principles to back it up too. Now we just have it's just pile on, pile on, and pile on of examples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the public sentiment has shifted. Yeah. So that's something to be you know the libertarian movement can ultimately be rather commended for, even in shifting public yeah. policy, is that by making this argument, we're shifting the realm of public opinion yeah. to being something you know that actually has a policy effect down the line. If you would have asked me 15 years ago, you know, when I was at that point, you know, moving to Texas, like, what's the possibility that we're going to see, you know, certain drugs like marijuana legalized in the next 10 years, 15 years, I would have laughed at you. Hmm. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah. but before I left Texas, you know, moved out in 2015, I was actually saying like, wow, I think maybe we're going to we're going to hit this in Texas even by like oh maybe 2022. And, and it turns out they might might end up being right. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. I mean, in the wake of the pandemic, there are now governors wanting to legalize it so that they can, you know, get more tax revenue, which is the oh, wrong yeah, reason course. to do it. Although I guess it's, you know, good that there's a, a change, I suppose, but in Pennsylvania where I live where we have very strict liquor laws and where you can buy it, I remember telling you certain stories about yeah. what I could do. You're like, wait, you can't go where? What? Like, what the heck? You can't get, you know, alcohol at your grocery store? Yeah. You know, even in Pennsylvania, I've, I've often made the joke that we'll be able to, you know, recreationally smoke marijuana before we'll be able to buy beer <laughs> at our grocery store. Which is which is really, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny and so forth. And, you know, like you, I have no interest, never have, and have no interest in partaking in marijuana or whatever, however you're yeah. supposed to say it. I don't know if the word partaking is the right word. <laughs> Cannabis, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I mean, like, am I, you know, it's, never mind. I was just, like, well, identifying that I don't even know how to talk about how I'm supposed to consume it, so I'm not cool enough. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's fine. I mean, one of the things that really motivates me now, and I talk about this, you know, in one paragraph of the article, is that, like, you know, again, I don't have any interest in using it recreationally. But what is absolutely heinous, uncivilized, barbaric, and I mean, just completely stupid is the way in which prohibition actually makes us dumber in that we can't even do research for legitimate healthcare uses. Mm. So it baffles me to no end. Now, there are some exceptions to this. I'll grant that. But that, you know, we are probably on the order of at least 100 years behind schedule in understanding how to use cannabis for medical purposes. Only now, I mean, over the last few years, are we really beginning to see the medical use of cannabis studied in a more clinical setting. Heretofore, you know, I mean, now medical cannabis has been around now for, you know, over a decade in certain places. Mm -hmm. That's a given, right? But like, let's, like a lot of the stuff that we know about it 
comes on some from some sense anecdotally. And why like why don't we have the the good clinical research to this effect? Why can't we do that? Because of the state. So literally, we are being denied the ability to go gather knowledge to help people find legitimate uses for treatment of diseases or mental health issues, whatnot, because of prohibition. Yeah. I mean, this is this is madness. In any other area, if we just said, you know what, we're going to prohibit the use of, you know, benzoates for medical study from now on because they have the potential to harm people, that would be laughed out of a university or any other element of society like it was just, like it were part of the dark ages. And yet when it comes to the war on drugs, we accept it like this is no big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the freaking heck? <laughs> it's insane. And so... I think that alone should tell us right off the bat that the war on drugs makes us dumber. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, that's... Well, I that's... can tell you're passionate about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it has such dramatic and, you know, evil consequences, really. Um, oh, yeah. And so... It started off evil and it yeah. continues to propagate evil and it makes us stupider. Like, I mean, there's nothing good about it. You know, it started off as being like... Think about the way in which that some of prohibition started. It literally is the case that uh, when they were in the West, in particular, in the Western United States, that they were concerned that Chinese immigrants were like taking people's jobs. It literally, I mean, <laughs> we'll connect to the next issue here of immigration yeah. sooner or later, right? So they're concerned about like Chinese people who were immigrants taking jobs and railroads and, and doing productive things and making a living for themselves and making their lives better. And they were concerned about this and they were like, oh, well, you know, we can't, we can't get rid of them. I mean, we can't do that. And we can't just like uh, do it because they're Chinese. I mean, that's, that's a problem. Oh, but you know what we can't do? We can, we can say that their opium is a problem. Oh yeah, great. Perfect. Let's go after them. Even though plenty of other people of, of, you know, we'll just call them regular American descent at the time were doing the same things, the same things, but they weren't the undesirable people of that time period and thus you know that and they got away with it mm. and we see the same thing with mexicans and cannabis in the first half of the, of the 20th century and I'm, I'm like glossing over this stuff but you know and telling it in shorthand but this stuff is real and now of course it we see totally unequal i, I hesitate to call it unequal outcomes per se but uh, like inequality in treatment of justice of minority groups mm-hmm. with regards to, to drugs. Like this is, it's so ridiculous to think that, you know, I could get a slap on the wrist if I were 16 and got, and had smoked pot and got caught or something like that because I happen to be a white guy. But if a black kid got it, like they could get sent to juvenile detention forever and get involved with other criminals who actually did violent things. And that's just stupid. That's unjust. It's evil. And, Again, like, how can we say that there's anything good about this, the way that this is happening? There's no way. No way. There's no way. So, yeah, war on drugs is horrible. Yeah, yeah. Rah, rah. Uh, So the article you can find on libertarianchristians.com, we'll link to it in the show notes page, which is, uh, what's the title of it? Six Reasons Christians Should Hate the War on Drugs. There you (laughs) go. It's very simple. And it's very pointed. It's very punchy. And you can use it as an argument against all of your Christian friends. We've had this discussion mostly about the libertarian angle, but the Christian angle is actually sort of the 
the reason you wrote the article. It's like, as Christians, yeah. this is why you should hate the war on drugs, and we will point you to that article for some of the juicy details. Yeah, so let's just real quickly gloss over the six points real fast. Oh, sure. And just to give you the preview. So first off, the war on drugs has severe unintended consequences, and we go through you know the development of cartels and mafias. The war on drugs ratchets up the power of the state. For one thing, it's unconstitutional, and for another, it, it ends up with all sorts of other laws associated with it that increase the power of the state, and that's horrible. The war on drugs is a gross violation of personal liberty. So it kind of leads into that, and we lean into that, that, you know, I mean, the war on drugs is is very simply, like, at its basic level, it's the state telling you what you can and cannot put in your own body. And that's, that's not, like, whether or not you agree with it doesn't matter. It's wrong for the state to be able to do that. And so then the war on drugs stunts real progress. I obviously talked a little bit about that previous. The war on drugs treats the health issue as a criminal issue. This is a, a really important point to kind of shift in one's brain then I would encourage you just to go to the article to read that paragraph and understand why. And then finally, the war on drugs does not in any way address sin. Yes, there is a total problem in this world regarding substance abuse. But to relegate that to a criminal issue that the state needs to deal with is not a totally inappropriate way to deal with the sin problem. We have in many, many, many other cases where sin is of paramount importance to us, do not allow the state to handle it because that would be stupid to do. It would be immoral for us to put that into the state's capacity. But in this case, for some reason, we do. And uh, so we should realize that that's just not a good idea. That's it. So you never have to be afraid of a pro-drug war argument, Christians. Every bit of truth is on your side. Crush them with no mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always, uh, I don't even know what the word is. I'm always in, sort of amazed at your gumption when you have certain <laughs> arguments and certain lines of reasoning. And gonna, yet at the same Cobra time, yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, at the same time, I'm just like, well, yeah, go get them. Like, of course, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. So, yeah. There are certain things that I will argue more gently on because it takes a little bit more of a straight up nuanced view in order to get to people and get them to change their mind. This is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There is no redeeming value at all to the opposing argument. <laughs> like It just doesn't exist. <laughs> so let's win the argument. Yeah. Let's take it to the public, people. Yeah, take it to the streets. <laughs> all right. But we have other things to talk about, too. Yeah. And, uh, and we hinted at that, of course, and you've already mentioned what that topic is. Immigration is a big deal to you in particular, Doug. Yeah. And I think that's super honorable. That is a... It's a massive boon to human freedom to have the ability to move about and seek out, you know, a new life, mm -hmm. if you will, and to try and improve oneself through changing their circumstances and, and their location. And the fact that states essentially pride themselves on the right to exclude people for whatever reason that they can come up with. Yeah, I mean, there's an understandable reason why, you know, if you have a border and you want to have some measure of protection about it, okay, I can get behind that as an argument to an extent. But for peaceful people wanting to pass through it, like, yeah. there's <laughs> there's not yeah. a good reason. Yeah. You can't just prevent people like that. It's a fundamental right. In the federal government, even of the United States, the Supreme Court has said so. <laughs> In So as an intro to that, I think immigration is a big deal. But a lot of people get this wrong. So why is it so important to you and what do people yeah. need to understand about this to really make it a hill that they should go and die on as well? Yeah, well, I think 
there's a couple of reasons for me why this is such a passionate issue. One of them has to do with the image that we often have in our minds about what does an immigrant look like. Now, if we talk about what does an immigrant look like, my guess is, and this is typically my picture of things just based on what I learned, you know, my biases growing up is that it's probably somebody from Mexico crossing the border into the U.S. Okay. Now, we know that that's not the only type of immigrant that happens. And when I say immigrant, I'm including legal and illegal, okay? By the standards of the state, illegal would be they're not allowed to cross over by the without permission from the state. So, well, they passed over without going through the exact procedure right. that the state laid out for them. Correct. Right. The, the real simple f- procedure of just getting in line. That was sarcasm, yeah. everybody. Um, so yeah, 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 we'll get there to is the, no we'll, line. Yeah, we'll get. To, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. There is no line. So the picture that people have is unfortunately been painted in a certain way that let's just say it's really inaccurate. I know Donald Trump when he was campaigning, he made a very, first of all, inaccurate but also very disparaging remark about Mexicans and sort of painted a picture that like the people crossing the border are here to like take over. And that's not really what's going on. I mean, there's no, there's no real data to support that (laughs) first of all. And second of all, it's just like sort of uncouth to even sort of put it that way, but you know, Hey, it got him votes. Right. So politicians are very, you know, motivated in in varying ways, but here's, here's the thing. They're motivated to, to, to say things in order to get votes. You're kidding. Yeah, I know, right? Huh. So the thing for me is the mental picture that we tend to have about immigrants is actually incorrect. Yep. A few days ago on our Facebook page, we put up a meme that said, if immigrants are so lazy and mooching off the system, then why does ICE always raid workplaces? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was just like, oh, that's really good. Because like, I understand that there are some immigrants who come here because that we do have a welfare state, even though they're not always eligible. There's there's different loopholes that they can you know kind of get to that, but they're not actually eligible for all the welfare benefits. There are ways they can mooch off the system, but that is not what is by and large happening. Just like there are people who are white people mooching off the welfare system who were born here, that's not the norm, okay? So there is a whole world of difference between what we picture in our minds as to what immigrants are doing and what is actually happening. And so what I ended up doing was learning about what the data really is. Now, all well, that- not the data show, like even on the welfare side, that, that, they ha- that immigrants actually end up contributing more on the pole than <sighs> they consume through yes, it? That yes. That was the report of the Texas comptroller like 12 years ago. Yeah, well, <laughs> and not only that, Brian Kaplan actually did some research and he actually looked at some of the studies done by people who are anti-immigration or are for like what we would yeah. call closed borders. And what they actually admitted, what there was a really negligible but still positive effect of immigrants in terms of uh, what we just talked about there. So like the net gain on the economy. So like even the person who says that we shouldn't have open borders or says that we should have, you know, either no or few immigrants has to admit that uh, illegal immigrants actually have a net benefit on the economy. All of the economic arguments, I'm jumping ahead on what I have on notes here, but all the economic arguments are just a slam dunk against the idea of keeping more people out, okay? Right. And so it's really like, Every single, but what about this idea? What about this? What about that? 
is absolutely dealt with in books like Brian Kaplan's Open Borders, Lant Pritchett's Let Their People Come, In Defense of Openness by Jason Brennan. These things are just like, just like your drug war argument. They're just like, they're slam dunks, okay? If you just actually look at the data, all right? Yeah, it seems like that the closed border proponents sometimes come up with these almost straw manish arguments regarding things like the welfare state and voting and whatnot. They sort of think like, well, when these immigrants come in, the instant that they come in, they go to the welfare office, they get their check, and then they go and, you know, <laughs> sit down and and uh, then they make sure and, right. you know, order, they make sure and send all that money, uh, you know, to, you know, Alibaba uh, overseas and order their, you know, their groceries that way. And then they sit around and watch Mexican television or something like that and then never do anything in the house that they rented but never pay for because welfare pays for it. I mean, there's like it makes no sense to take these sorts of routes of argument yeah. it's like as as if that they were you know as if they yeah. were legitimate well and here's here's the other thing we've in the idea of the mental picture in sort of that thinking of things right i've been talking about this mental picture that we often have in our heads mm-hmm. the media is very good at painting a mental picture for us or painting a picture for us giving us a narrative that we are and most conservatives and definitely libertarians are bound to distrust. So we see, for instance, the images of, I think it was AOC at a border fence and like there were yeah. some staged things going on. Maybe it wasn't her. I don't want to throw her under the bus for this if this isn't when it was happening, but there's other reasons to throw her under the bus. <laughs> I don't mean literally, of course. That's a figure of speech for me to say that we can, you know, take her to task. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I, you know, you got to be clear because yeah, I know yeah, in yeah. five years... I'm going to be canceled for saying this today. So, (laughs) oops, because I didn't really mean that in that way. So, and no one will get context anyway. All right, that's a tangent. But anyway, you know, all of the outrage over Trump's border wall issues, right? Which, by the way, now that we're in the Biden administration, seem to have even worsened. Definitely haven't gotten better in most ways although there were a handful of ways that it improved. Uh, All of the outrage. Same as the old boss. Same as the old boss. So, all of the outrage and the staged photo ops at the border by some of these people, it's like the media sort of gives us reasons to doubt that what it's painting for us is actually accurate. And so for many conservatives who are not in favor of open borders, even certain libertarians are not in favor of open borders, first of all, you got to get with your libertarian consistencies here, guys. You can't have freedom of movement for some and not for others, but we'll get to that. So even those people, it's like we're bound to mistrust it. So the mental picture of what immigrants look like and behave like, that has to change. We have to see them for who they are. We also have to see them for how God sees them. And I just, we wrote about this in Faith Seeking Freedom. And here are a handful of places from scripture about how we are to treat the immigrant or how Israel was to treat the immigrant, things the Bible says about immigrants. I'm just going to read off of a list here. That they are to have equal rights, Exodus 12, Leviticus 24. We are to love them as ourselves, Leviticus 19. And of course, you know, Jesus saying that as well about loving others as ourselves. They are worthy of our charity, Deuteronomy 10. In Job 31, the marks of a righteous man is that his door is always open to the traveler. Okay, that's actually one that I want to come back to in a minute. We are not to mistreat the alien, Deuteronomy 24. Warnings of judgment for those who deprive aliens of justice, Malachi 3. Widespread mistreatment of immigrants can lead to national judgment, Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31, (laughs) Jeremiah 22. Jesus makes it clear that strangers are one of those whom he called the least of these. So if you're a Christian, 
your attitude toward people who are strangers, whether it's a stranger as in like you don't recognize them and they're in need or something like that, or whether they are literally a foreigner by definition of the state and your geopolitical nationality, your treatment of people should never be to prohibit or limit them in a way that keeps them from, I want to say reaching their potential, but that just sounds so self-helpy. But like, you can't prevent them from pursuing their own liberty, okay? That is just, that's not what Christians do. If they're seeking it in a way that's peaceful, then they should be permitted to do it. And there are a number of biblical passages, some of which I just went to here, but just the whole thrust of the biblical narrative just goes toward that God is with those who are foreigners and strangers in a land. God comes to them. God rescues Israel out of Egypt. God rescues Israel out of bondage in Babylon. It's just like, come on, read your Bible. There is no place that says that there's warrant for keeping people out. God is a God of welcoming people, okay? And if you want to go down the train of thought that says, well, what about all the criminals? And what about the people here to do us harm, okay? We can talk about that. We can talk about actual good criminal justice reform instead of thinking of it as immigration, okay? We can can have those kinds of conversations. Just like with the drug war, it's not always a criminal issue. Sometimes it's a health issue. With immigration, sometimes it's not an immigration issue. It's actually just a criminal issue. And where there's high rates of illegal immigration, crime rates aren't necessarily higher. Okay, so there's data for that. But just think about what Jesus asks us to do of our, of our enemies. You know, we can say, hey, you know, love your neighbor. And we think, oh, yay, that's great. Love our neighbor. Okay. In the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is actually... Surrounding that parable, he's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And somebody says, well, who is your neighbor? And he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm assuming every listener knows the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan is the person that people look down upon or that that the Israelites look down upon because they were only part Jewish. And at the end, Jesus asked the question, so who then is your neighbor? And the person who asked him, well, who is my neighbor? Said, well, it was the one who had compassion on him. Okay, so most of us look at that story and we take it as is and we say, oh, well, you know, we need to be like the Good Samaritan. But here's, here's what's interesting about that story. And I believe it was Richard Beck who pointed this out in one of his books that basically when the guy answered correctly that the Samaritan was the neighbor, he didn't call him the Samaritan. He called him by what he did. He wasn't even able to say the guy's name. The guy who is your neighbor is the guy you can't even give him a name. He said the one who had pity on him. He didn't say, oh, the Samaritan, because he didn't want to utter the word Samaritan. There's a lot to be said for how we think about and how we treat the people who live across an arbitrary border. Most of them, and by most, I mean like 99%, had no choice to be born on the wrong side of America's borders. You got to keep that yeah. in mind. And and let alone, okay, fine, maybe that's just chance of life, whatever. But imagine treating kids who had literally no choice but to do what their parents, you know, go with their parents, go with their caretakers, whatever that is. I lament the most, not that Christians don't want sound borders or, you know, some people say strong borders. I don't like that phrase. But Not that Christians in America would want something like what we call strong borders or whatever, but just that the attitude of Christians 
is not toward helping those who are on the wrong side of the American border, okay? They weren't fortunate enough to be born on our land and therefore have the privileges of Americans. Now, that doesn't mean we give them every privilege of an American. I mean, there are there are ways in which they can be here, be peaceful, and not be American, okay? That's the other thing. It's like, an, it's not an all or nothing approach here. So the reason that I'm really passionate about this is that it just grieves me when I hear Christians talk as if it didn't matter what happened to people across the other side, on the other side of the border, okay? So that's kind of the like thing, like, where it hits hard for me. And one thing that I think is interesting is when we get into these arguments with other people who are like, oh, we should have strong borders because of this, or what about the gangs, and what about all this, and so forth. And I'm like, look. Or if they say, I don't want those people over here. Like, you can't make them come here to me and be in my community, all right? Because that's a violation. I don't know what they think it's a violation of. It's like they just don't want those people here, whatever those people mean in their minds. And they're saying, but you, but I don't want them here. You can't force me to have them, you know, live in my community. Well, here's what I'm really going for. What I'm really going for is that you don't have that attitude in the first place. Is that you say, you know what? It may make me uncomfortable, but it's more Christ-like to accept that my community could have a higher percentage of Mexican immigrants or any immigrants. I'm just, I'm picking on Mexicans because it's just, again, it's that sort of mental picture and it is what most people have. But I want people to actually have a better mental process and a more accurate picture of what the immigrant is actually like. And I want their attitudes to change from arguing about whether or not or why we should have strong border security to saying, you know what, we should be a nation that welcomes the immigrant as long as you're peaceful. Okay, let's deport the people who aren't peaceful. Let's let's use law enforcement to get rid of those. I'm all fine with that. But to say, oh, just because you crossed this border that you happen to be born on the wrong side of, that counts you as a criminal and you ought to leave. Because otherwise, the vast majority of immigrants are actually here peacefully trying to do exactly what most conservative Christians want people to do is to take personal responsibility and stop making excuses and do what they can to take care of themselves and their families. And I don't know why a Christian wouldn't want to advocate for more immigration, except in maybe some rare circumstances and situations where there could be problems. But again, back to the libertarian principle of anything peaceful, if they're being peaceful, what's the problem? And I implore Christians to change their attitude about it rather than trying to make excuses for why we have to keep those people out. I would recommend for anybody who feels awkward about this to actually like try and take an opportunity to get to know an immigrant sometime. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. it kind of baffles me that this is an issue on some level. I mean, an issue in like the church confused over it? Like Christians are still... Yeah, okay. Exactly. And, And part of it, I think, on some level, at least for me, is that I grew up around immigrants, I guess. There's nothing to it. When I was a little kid... I lived across the street from a Syrian family. And as I grew up, I met immigrants from in churches. And then when I went to college, my first semester in college, I 
made a lot of friends with transfer students for some weird reason. I guess it was just they was they were around in my classes, and so I got to know them. And I actually had one come back to Thanksgiving with me that in my first semester at college, and then started working with folks uh, like before the year was out. I was working in a lab with well a professor who was Grecian, and actually, and, and come to think of it now, now that I think about it, it's actually kind of funny. Because you know, in, in, I went to college in 2001, and obviously in uh, in September of 2001, there was a kind of a flare up with uh, the Middle East. You might imagine, and but before the end of that academic year, I was work, actually working with um, in labs with uh, students from who were you know from the Middle East. I didn't even think about it at the time because it wasn't an issue to me, even though I at that time would have been pro war. But it didn't make a difference to me, I guess, about immigration in this yeah, regard. Yeah. And I just, it baffles me that people want to, they, they feel like it's necessary to treat others like that. And that's perhaps the thing that confuses me the most, is why would we think that somehow the positive injunction to treat others the way we would want to be treated suddenly becomes null and void when they, when they are no longer from our home country? Yeah. I mean, why, why would we think that? And so, yeah, it's just like, get to know some immigrants. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, and maybe it'll be a little tricky. Maybe you don't live across from them or the street or whatever. Maybe you don't have any that are going to your church and that's okay. I mean, but whenever you do encounter them, like, don't worry if they have trouble with English. Don't worry if they're different from you or whatnot. Just get to know them. What else? I mean, what else? Do you, what, what do you have to lose? <laughs> Come on. I don't know. The position that we should close the borders might um, go away. Okay, I don't know. They'll lose the okay. argument. That's what they have to lose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, yeah. good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, and, and this is a shorter one, I just I just spent all that time on, it, on one real issue for me is the lamenting about Christians having this attitude in the first place. The second one is, it was more of the economic argument when I read Lant Pritchett's book, Let Their People Come, he had done some economic analyses that basically said, this is as a libertarian, we're thinking, okay, people should be free, human flourishing, prosperity for more people who are poor. The number one way, okay, to eliminate global poverty would be to have something akin to open borders because yeah. the problem would literally fix itself almost overnight. Okay, because people will choose to do that. People aren't stuck in certain countries when um, sweatshops go into other countries. That's a little bit of a rescue. I realize I'm not I'm not going to defend sweatshops right this moment. Okay, but just hold that for a second. You have a sweatshop going into a country and those people now have a better way out of poverty and especially for the next generation and so forth. Imagine if they didn't have to wait for a company to come to their country. Imagine if they could go or, or let's think digital economy. Let's not think just migration, but let's just imagine that a company could hire them to work remotely, okay, or to do certain things remotely because it's way more legal to do that rather than be like, oh, yeah, I can't do work in another country because it's really complicated and that country and my country won't let that happen. Okay, like this doesn't necessarily have to mean physical movement over borders, but the openness across borders in terms of trade also really helps as well. So it's just like it's a slam dunk on the moral case. It's a, it's a definitely the economic analysis is there that world GDP would increase. 
I think they say, uh, I think Brian Kaplan calls it like it's a trillion dollar bill on the sidewalk kind of phenomenon. It's like this, <laughs> and, and again, you're measuring something that says, oh, if we did this. Now, we know that the world isn't just going to get open borders in the next decade, okay? Right. That's not conceivable. Although, you know, a decade ago, we probably wouldn't have seen so much legalization of drugs in the country either. But we're probably not going to get open borders anytime soon. However, the more you push the needle in that direction, the better and faster you are going to get the world out of poverty. Yep. And if that is not a case for, and not only that, it's doing it without extra charity. It's so like brilliant. It's like, oh my goodness. Wait, we don't have to send our missionary dollars over, not missionary dollars. We don't have to send our like, um, what's the word? Um, yeah, foreign aid dollars. Foreign aid dollars. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. We don't have to send foreign aid dollars. We could just like actually get something out of it by hiring the person, giving them money. They give us a service. Like, hello, trade creates wealth, people flourishing together. I don't know. It just seems so obvious to me, but I'm a good seven years on the other side of this argument. So yeah. it's almost like reallocation of capital goods increases production. Mm. Huh. Imagine Who knew? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> I think I read it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's just, it, we can unleash human flourishing in like almost overnight. And... We do deal with this a little bit in Faith Seeking Freedom. If you are inclined to read a very attractive graphic novel, get Brian Kaplan's book, Open Borders, The Science and Ethics of Immigration. So that's my pitch on, on immigration. But again, back to the, I just wish more Christians and Americans, like my, my goal isn't like to tell half of America they should accept immigrants against their wishes. My goal is that like, I want 100% of Americans to be like, yeah, hey, come on over. Just don't harm anybody. That's kind of my wish, is that that would be our attitude toward everybody. Yeah, it's a good vision. And in both of our worlds, I guess as long as they're peacefully using drugs, they're still welcome, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, in theory. <laughs> oh, there's so much about the state to unravel. I don't know what the episode number is, but uh, if listeners are interested, Norman and I talk about how would we unravel the state? Like, in what order would we start, you know, knocking down the 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 blocks of statism. So we did that probably about a year ago, I think. Yeah. I think we probably talked about the war on drugs and immigration then too. <laughs> we definitely did. They were probably on top yeah. of where, yeah, it was probably what, the Fed, yeah. bring the troops home. Those are probably the first two because I know those are my first two. Yeah. As passionate as I am Sound about money. these two things. Yep. Yeah. Foreign policy. That's just so much. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just keep hitting that red button, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> button mash. <laughs> Inside Our, joke, guys. Yes. <laughs> If you've listened to every episode, you might actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> so, well, Norm, I think we've had a fun and uh, lengthy discussion on two issues we're both passionate about. And thanks for being on here with me to talk about this. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.